Well, good morning. If you've been with us, you know that we have been talking for the past few weeks about ecclesiology from the Greek word ekklesia, meaning congregation or assembly or church. So ecclesiology is the doctrine of the church. We've been asking questions like this. What is the church? And uh, is the church different from Israel, or how is it the, the same? How should individual churches organize themselves? Should there be sort of uh, authority structures um, between various churches? And then, uh, and then in our last session, we began to talk about church offices and church officers. And uh, so we began by talking about uh, the office of uh, elders. And, uh, and so we defined a church officer by uh, Wayne Grudem as a church officer is someone who has been publicly recognized as having the right and responsibility to perform certain functions for the benefits of the whole church. And when he refers to the whole church there, he means a local church. And so we've made the argument that uh, church officers do not have responsibilities and roles within multiple churches, but rather within one individual local church. Church and so last week we looked at the uh, the office of elder. This week we want to look at the office of deacon. Uh, but uh, before that, we really want to to uh, address this other issue. We didn't really know exactly where to put it, so we just lumped it together uh, here. And that is the question of apostles, because apostleship is this other office of the church. And so we want to address the question uh, whether or not apostles are for today. We teased that in our last section. Is the office of apostle alive and active today? Should churches have apostles? Should we expect apostolic gifting? Should we look for people that we can raise up as apostles, etc.? <coughs> Excuse me. In order to answer that, the first thing we need to know uh, is the, that the word apostle has various meanings in various contexts. So if we're going to ask the question, are there apostles today, we need to define what it is that we mean by the word apostle. And there's four different ways that this term can be used in, uh, in Scripture. Uh, the first way is really unique. It's used of Jesus himself, Hebrews 3.1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. The word apostle just means uh, one who is sent, and Jesus is the sent one, the ultimate sent one, in a sense, that the, uh, the Father has sent the Son for our salvation, and so He is an apostle in that sense. The second way that the term is used is it's used in a unique way to refer to the original 12 disciples, or the original 11, plus Matthias, who replaces Judas. Uh, in Acts chapter 1. That's the second way that it's used. The third way that it's used, which is kind of related to the second, is it's used to refer to Paul and a group of others, um, including James, Jesus' brother, uh, maybe Barnabas, maybe a couple of others. And so that's the third way. And then lastly, there is a, a use of it where it's a, a much more generic much less technical sense. It's just used of general church messengers. For example, Paul sends Epaphroditus in Philippians chapter 2. Or Paul is going to use the term um, uh, apostle or um, uh, the underlying Greek there in a non-technical way some 35 times. And the New Testament as a whole is going to use it about 80 times. And uh, so it's kind of like the word disciple, right? Everyone in this room is a disciple, 
in some sense. After all, that's the goal. That's why Parkway exists, to glorify God by making disciples. That's the Great Commission, to go and to make disciples of all the nations. And so everyone is a disciple, but hopefully none of us think that we're a disciple in the exact same way that Peter and James and John um, were. And so there's a unique use of the word disciple, likewise with uh, the word uh, uh, apostle. So there's a sense in which there are these uh, general church messengers, but not in this greater sense. Now you could perhaps collapse levels two and three, the twelve and Paul, since Paul seems to have equal authority with the twelve, but I'm just going to leave them separate just to highlight the fact that Scripture is going to designate or distinguish the two. No one denies that there are level four apostles today. No one denies that there are people who are just generally sent out as church messengers, church planters, missionaries, delegates to denominational meetings, etc. They're all sent out, and so in that sense, they are apostles. Also, no one claims that, uh, that there is a level one apostleship beyond Christ. Christ is the only apostle in level one sense. There's only one Jesus. No one really claims that there are level two apostles because those were fulfilled in the original 12. So the question always revolves around whether there are level three sort of apostles, whether there are apostles today that are in any sense like Paul or James or Barnabas or whatever it might be. So do they exist? Well, of course they exist. In some sense, Google reveals a number of people who have been given, or as often the case, given themselves the title of apostle within the Metroplex. In fact, I got an email this very week from an apostle looking for a place for her church to meet. That's right, I said her church to meet. So apostles certainly exist, but the question is not whether people or a church have given someone the title of an apostle today. They have. But whether God has given that title to church officers today or given that authority or given that gifting to officers today, and I would say that he has not. So I don't think that there are apostles today in the first level sense or the second level sense or the third level sense for a few reasons. None of these, by the way, are slam dunk, but I think that the weight of the collective implications uh, for them are overwhelmingly compelling. First, it seems like being a witness to the resurrection was a biblical criteria for apostleship. It seems like in order to be an apostle, you have to have borne witness to the resurrection. Acts 1, 21 through 22 says that. Acts 4, 33 says that. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1. Look at what Paul says. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? Or 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 9. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom were still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me because uh, Jesus in his resurrected form appeared to uh, Paul after he had already appeared to all the other apostles. So if you had to bear witness to the resurrection, then it seems to uh, imply that a witness has to actually witness. There weren't second or third hand witnesses. And since Christ is seated at the right hand of God, he's not showing himself physically on the earth then I don't think that anyone meets the requirement for this authoritative office. By the way, in addition to having the requirement that uh, you be a witness to the resurrection, Paul would also say that you also have to be personally commissioned by Jesus, that you're actually commissioned personally by Jesus. 
Not secondhand, not thirdhand, not somebody else says, Jesus told me to appoint you, but Jesus himself comes and appears and says, you're going to be my apostle and you're going to do this. In addition to that, uh, apostles in this uh, third level sense bore witness to themselves by signs and wonders. Not only that, but also by extreme suffering. That was a mark of an apostle according to Paul. So although some today would claim to be apostles and would claim that they have these signs and wonders that they do in their name, it's funny how few modern people who call themselves apostles would happily rejoice in and boast in suffering as a sign of their uh, uh, apostolicity. Apostolicity. I don't know where I got apostolicity. Seems like they would, uh, they're much more likely to boast in their jets, boast in their diamonds, boast in their Bentleys and mansions and so forth. In other words, if you want to be an apostle, then you better take on the marks of being an apostle, which includes, according to Paul, apostolic suffering. There is a unique suffering that accompanies the office. Second, a second reason to not think that there are apostles today is because early church history always distinguished between apostles and the disciples of the apostles. Interestingly enough, the disciples of the apostles were not called apostles. That's different than what we see like, uh, for instance, in the Old Testament with prophets. For, for example, Elijah with a J, his disciple was Elisha, S-H. And what was Elisha? He was also a prophet. But when it comes to early church history, the people that the apostles discipled were not called apostles. They were called elders. They were called pastors. In other words, the early church generally believed it was a temporary and unrepeatable office, that it wasn't an enduring office, that the, the office of apostle was a temporary one for the building up, the laying of the foundation of the church to appoint elders and, uh, and that was uh, the extent of it. A third reason to not think that there are apostles today is because having apostles today would seem to undermine the authority of Scripture. You know, in a sense, we still have the apostles today because Paul, because Peter, James, and John, and so forth, still speak. How do they speak? They speak through the authority of Scripture so upholding the authority, the inerrancy, the sufficiency of Scripture is the real concern when it comes to the question of apostles today. It would seem to, uh, it would seem to, to some degree, dilute or negate the authority of Scripture to say that, therefore, there are now el uh, apostles who have the authority or have the ability to speak new revelation that somehow might be on par with Scripture. You have a few texts that point in that direction. Ephesians 2.20 speaks of the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So it seems as though the foundation is already laid and already been set. Or Hebrews 1.2, which distinguishes the way that God previously spoke to His people from how He now speaks through Christ. It says, in the past, God spoke through prophets, but now He's spoken decisively through His Son. Or Jude 3 speaks of the faith once for all delivered to the saints. It's not that there needs to be this, this continual re revelation. All of God's revelation is bound up in Christ and is testified to in uh, Scripture, which is why 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 speaks of the man of God being complete and equipped for every good work through Scripture, which wouldn't be true if we need new apostolic revelation today. 
So it seems that Scripture itself would say that there is no need for the apostolic office today because we already have the apostolic deposit in Scripture. So is there a sense in which there are apostles today? Yes, in this fourth-level sense of those who are just sent out by the church as missionaries, as delegates, as whatever it might be. But that's a super confusing use of the term, and it opens the door for distortion of biblical authority. So I would just recommend never calling yourself or anyone else an apostle unless your intention is to uh, mislead. So if the office of apostle is no longer active, what are the enduring offices? Elders, which we talked about last week, and then deacons, which we'll talk about this week. I want to begin as we talk about deacons in uh, Acts chapter 6. Now, let, me begin, let me begin and say this passage doesn't use the term deacons, but most see it as establishing a pattern into which the diaconate fits. All right, so we'll begin in, uh, in Acts chapter 6, uh, verse 1, and read through verse 4. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose uh, against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. By the way, that word is diakonia. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve. By the way, that word is diakoneo to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Notice a couple of things. First, although the text does, uh, itself doesn't call these men deacons, related words are used. The word distribution is diakonia. The word serve as in serving tables is diakoneo. So whether they had a title or the office uh, or not, they certainly had the function of deaconing. In the context, they had the function of serving. They served tables. Second, notice that there's a distinction made between two different types of ministries. Right? Both are necessary. Both are good. Both are healthy. Both are right. They're just two different types of ministry. The apostles devoted themselves to prayer and preaching, whereas these men devoted themselves to ministering to physical needs. So whether this is the establishment of the office of deacon or not, it's kind of irrelevant. The point is simply that we see a distinction here between two different types of ministry, the spiritual ministry and the physical ministry. And this mirrors what we see in the church and the church offices. Elders devote themselves to more of the spiritual needs of the body, to prayer, to preaching, to teaching, while deacons devote themselves to more physical needs. That doesn't mean that deacons aren't spiritual or the deacons never pray, just that they have different roles. Elders are much more concerned with more of the overarching spiritual needs of the body, whereas the deacons serve with physical needs of the body to free the elders up so that they might be able to preach and to uh, pray and cast vision and all those things that elders do that we talked about last week. Okay. A few questions that we want to uh, work through together. The first one being, what are the qualifications for deacons? 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13 says, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience uh, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children in their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves 
and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Notice that the list is nearly the same as elders we talked about last time, with the exception of uh, the, the necessity of being able to teach. We talked about this last week. A deacon might have the ability to teach, but he doesn't necessarily need it. Let me give you an example of this. We have a young lady attending the church who is a professional tennis player. She's ranked in the top few hundred in the world. Now, I also dabble a bit in tennis. I played for about 15 years as a kid, but I haven't played much uh, in the past two decades or so. I played her a few months ago, and as expected, I didn't win a single game, much less a set or a match, right? Then again, we've played about 10 games of ping pong, and she has yet to win a game, so I consider that a moral victory. Why do I mention that? Mostly to brag about the fact that I'm a great ping pong player, but also as an analogy, being able to serve or to return a serve is necessary for her position as a professional tennis player, but it's not a requirement for me as a pastor. I can do it, maybe not all that well, but passably at least. Likewise, some people who serve as deacons might very well have the ability to teach, but they don't have to, whereas in order to be qualified as an elder, you have to have that ability according to scriptures. What are the qualifications for deacons? We see them in 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 13. Next question, can women serve as deacons? This is a, this is a controversial topic that Bible-loving, complementarian um, Christians disagree on this topic. It's highly debated because of two passages in particular. Uh, the first one being 1 Timothy 3, verse 11 which can be translated as their wives likewise. That's what I just read in the ESV. It can also be translated as women likewise. And so some people take that as referring to female deacons. The second reason that this is uh, controversial is because of a passage in Romans 16, which conveniently enough is where we are in our journey through the book of Romans. And it calls Phoebe uh, either a deaconess or a servant. Um, and, uh, and so the word diakonos can sometimes refer to the office of deacon or sometimes refer to just someone who serves in, uh, in general. And so it's kind of like uh, uh, when it comes to apostles. You have the, the, the technical office of an apostle, and then you have the fourth-level use where it's just someone who was sent out. Likewise, the word deacon sometimes refers to the office of deacon, and sometimes it just means someone who serves. And so, does, uh, uh, does Paul in uh, Romans 16 uh, intend to refer to Phoebe as simply a uh, servant or as a female deacon? So, I'd encourage you to listen to the audio of, uh, of Zach's uh, teaching if you're unable to, or Zach's preaching from that passage, Romans 16, 1 through 16, uh, and he can work through that a little bit more. What's interesting is that both readings are possible in both texts, all right? So 1 Timothy 3 could be uh, could read as uh, deacons' wives or it could be read as female deacons. Phoebe could be read as a servant or it could, she could be read as a female deacon, all right? Either one would, uh, would work grammatically, and so um, uh, we want to kind of work through it. And uh, no open and shut case can be made, but want to give some thoughts. Here's why this is so controversial, though. This, uh, this issue really is, is unfortunately confusing because uh, 
A lot of churches have deacons that function like elders, which makes this whole thing much more confusing. In a lot of Southern Baptist churches, the church has deacons but no elders. So the deacons actually have oversight. Well, obviously, if that's your structure, then you absolutely can't have female deacons because as we talked about last week, females can't, absolutely cannot, there is no argument to be made for uh, females serving as elders. First Timothy chapter 2 explicitly prohibits women from teaching men or exercising authority over men. So this is why it's so controversial. Some churches have deacons who function as uh, uh, elders because they don't have elders. Other churches have elders and deacons, but kind of confuse or conflate those offices and give pastoral responsibilities to deacons. So deacons are in charge of teaching or shepherding or counseling men or otherwise exercising authority over men or something like that. In which case, again, you couldn't have female deacons because although they have the title of deacon, they're performing the function of eldering. They're, they're pastoring. In other words, what matters isn't as much the title as the function. Imagine, if you imagine one day I snap, all right? Tim's constant interruption, Carl's quoting of Monty Python, just pushes me over the edge. So I start getting drunk every night, cheating on Casey. I divorce her, and the church strips me of my title. I'm no longer a pastor. I'm no longer an elder. But now imagine that I still teach and preach and help lead staff and attend elder meetings. Would that be a little confusing? Would you kind of see through that ruse? I'm still functioning as an elder, even if I don't have the title. That's what some churches do when it comes to deacons. If you're going to give someone a title, that title should match their function. You can't manipulate a title in order to get around some biblical reason to equivocate on the terms deacon uh, and uh, and elder. You can't uh, manipulate a title as if God's going to be tricked. Those are separate offices with separate functions. So let your elders oversee and your deacons serve. If you want to let women teach and exercise authority over men, then just call them pastors or elders and get over with it and be done with it. What's ironic is that Scripture is actually more explicit that a woman cannot perform elder functions than it is that she not have the elder title. The latter is, uh, is certainly implied and assumed, but the former is explicitly stated. So with all that in mind, what if a church really properly designated and distinguished elders from deacons and elders did elder things and deacons did deacon things? Well, then the issue becomes at once less clear, but also less important since the position would not require a violation of 1 Timothy chapter 2, prohibiting female preaching or teaching of men or exercising authority over men in the church. So let me give you the arguments for female deacons and then the arguments for reading this as referring to uh, deacons' wives. Arguments for female deacons. On the surface, that probably seems to be the easiest reading of, uh, of the text. A second reason is that history consistently had female deacons from the earliest ages who ministered to women. There are certain things that uh, women are able to do, especially as it relates to uh, baptism and not wanting to uh, you know, inappropriately touch a woman in a particular place as you lower her under the water or, or visit her in, the, uh, you know, in her bedroom as she's sick or something like that. So uh, historically, that's what uh, women would do. And the third reason is because the functions of deacons wouldn't interfere with Paul's concern with teaching and uh, exercising authority over men in the church. So that's the arguments for female deacons. The arguments against that, uh, instead thinking that this probably refers to uh, deacons' wives, 
uh, are that it seems strange for Paul to have separate qualifications for male deacons and then female deacons. It would seem like he would just simply give qualifications that both uh, might meet. Second, related to that history thing, it's uh, the fact that history at female deacons might not be the best guide, given that at the same time there were female deacons, there were also lone pastors in a developing church hierarchy that we would not find biblical today. And then lastly, it seems reasonable to think that Paul would refer to deacons' wives, whereas he did not specify elders' wives. That's often a question. Well, if you're going to give requirements for, for deacons' wives, why do you not give requirements for elders' wives? Well, the reason for that is because deacons' wives are probably expected to participate in their husband's ministry in a way that an elder's wife is not. Let's say that Dan Jones is one of our, our deacons, is working on something up here at the church. Well, oftentimes Joy will come up here and, uh, and help him. Well, that's u- unique for the diaconate. Casey loves me, she encourages me in my work, but she can't co-preach a sermon with me or help me lead an elder meeting or something like that. So which is it? Is it uh, that the text is referring to uh, female deacons or to deacons' wives? Just to be candid, this is an area where the elders do not have absolute consensus. Some of our elders are probably inclined to take this as referring to deacons' wives. Some are more inclined to take this as referring to female deacons. That said, there are two areas that give us pause with the idea of having female deacons at Parkway uh, right now. The first one is that there's this huge potential for misunderstanding. We talked about this a little bit uh, ago, especially within the Baptist world. Many churches have deacons who function as elders. In fact, Many churches have deacons but no elders, so it would be potentially really confusing to have female deacons if that's what someone thinks of the diaconate. Now, that in and of itself wouldn't be a huge concern. We could just simply correct what people misunderstood, but we also live in a highly feminized culture that has largely rejected male leadership and called it toxic masculinity. Is there actual, actual toxic masculinity and abuse of power? Absolutely. I'm not denying that at all. But our culture has taken those examples and also taken examples of good and godly biblical male headship and lumped them together and called it all uh, toxic masculinity such that any attempt for men to lead is inappropriate. So one of the things that we want to do here at Parkway is to redeem what culture has stolen and diluted and broken and obscured, and we want to uphold the beauty of male headship and leadership within the church. We want to put that on display and say, this is not a bad thing. This is a good thing. So I can't definitively say that we won't ever have female deacons, but we currently don't. We have no plans to do so. That said, if you are a woman and you desire to serve the church, there are myriad ways for you to do that. Listen, this does not mean that you are of less worth or value or dignity at all. If you're hearing that, you're mishearing what I'm saying. There are countless ways for you to be a servant, even if you don't have the title of deacon. If you're looking for ways to help, you can come up here during the week You can help us set up children's room. You can do some sort of administrative task. We have a number of women who come up and do that. Email us. We can get you started with that. You can help in preschool or with elementary or on the welcome team or with worship 
or help run slides or run sound during services. You can find a group of other women and meet together for accountability and community and discipleship. You can set aside intentional time to pray for the church. That's what uh, the, uh, the Scriptures talk about when it comes to widows, that they devote themselves to prayer. You can let the staff know if you have specific gil, uh, gifts or skills or talents that might be used by the church. You can talk to your husband about co-leading a community group. You can volunteer to uh, help visit some of our widows or some of our uh, members who are pregnant or young mothers who might need someone to mentor them or someone to help them clean their house or someone to just sit with them. We could keep going, but the point is this. Don't worry about or aspire for the title. Aspire to be used by God for the edification of the body. You don't need to be a deacon in order to be a servant. Next question. What do deacons do? Well, the Bible doesn't explicitly say, which implies a great deal of freedom. Again, the word just means servant, kind of like what we saw with apostles. Sometimes that word is used for official capital A apostles. Sometimes it just refers to one who was sent. Likewise with the word diakonos. Sometimes it refers to the office. Other times it's just used in a generic way of someone who serves the church. Historically, deacons would visit the sick and widows. They would oversee benevolence. They would prepare people for baptism. They would serve food. All of these things were considered deacon tasks. Here at Parkway, we have deacons that are in charge of finance. We have deacons that are in charge of our land and facilities. They help set up and tear down rooms, lock and unlock doors, fix stuff, and so forth. We have deacons who are in charge of technology, who help care for the physical needs of widows, who serve communion, and all of those kinds of things. So basically, they do what those in Acts 6 do. They seek to meet the pressing physical needs of the body so that the elders might be free to do elder stuff. So just about anything that would help free up elders could fit under that. That's what deacons do. Last question specifically related to uh, the office of deacon. Is the diaconate a lesser office or a stepping stone for elder? My answer to that is no. They're completely different offices. The diaconate might be less visible, but that doesn't in any sense make it less important. It's just different. Let me give you an illustration of this. So Zach is, uh, is preaching today. That's a super important task. You know what else is important? His mic working. His, the lights working. The ceiling not caving in. We had a, a, a leak in our roof a few months back, and it was a deacon who oversaw that project. The toilets not overflowing is a very important task. The communion being distributed, those are all really important as Well, so the offices are complementary. They're not in competition for power or authority or glory. The elders of the Parkway Church do not demean or look down or devalue the the deacons. The deacons don't mistrust the elders. There's not this power struggle or whatever it, uh, it might be. We talked about this when it came to elders. I think a lot of guys aspire to be elders, and that's a good thing, but it's also a good thing to aspire to the office of deacon, especially... If your passions and gifts tend to revolve around things that are much more uh, in the physical needs realm, I honestly think that a lot of guys who say that they aspire to be elders are actually in a much better fit for the office of deacon. And I just want to say that this is not a demeaning thing or a lesser office or something like that. It is a good and necessary and God-glorifying way to use your gifts and passions and talents for the glory of God and the good of the church. How do I know 
if I should aspire to the diaconate, well, do you meet the character qualifications? Do you have time and the desire to serve the church officially and formally? If you might be interested, let me encourage you, chat with our elders or one of our staff members. We need more deacons and would love to chat with you about this. Now, before we break, I want to uh, talk a little bit about a couple of general questions that are related to church officers that you, uh, you might have, and then we'll be done. Uh, so just three of these questions. First, should elders or deacons be paid or unpaid? The answer to that is, uh, biblically, you could have paid or unpaid elders. You could have paid or unpaid deacons. The Bible doesn't uh, ex- uh, explicitly uh, state or even implicitly state, uh, and, uh, and so um, really you could, uh, you could have uh, a combination Um, Second, how does Parkway identify elders and deacons? Well, generally, we look for people who are already kind of doing the function. Once we know that someone is interested or we think someone should be interested, we have a a process built out. It includes multiple conversations, a little assessment application kind of thing. I said little, but it's actually fairly intense. There's an application process that involves uh, talking to them, talking to their spouse, talking all those kinds of things, talking to people who know them well. So the whole process typically takes at least a few months, uh, up to um, you know maybe even more than a year uh, in some cases. So that that's how Parkway identifies elders and deacons. We typically look for people who are already kind of doing the work, and uh, and then just um, uh, put them through the process. And then if they meet the qualifications and pass the process then we uh, ordain them to the role. And then lastly, can a church create other roles? I just spent a lot of time talking about how um, the Bible really only has given us these two enduring offices, that is, uh, elders and deacons, um, and, uh, and yet uh, a lot of churches have ministers or um, you know, directors or whatever it, uh, it might be, and so is that sinful? And, uh, and I don't think it is, all right? So I, I think that churches absolutely should have a plurality of elders and a plurality of deacons, but the, I think that they also have freedom to create other roles and responsibilities. For example, here at Parkway, we have a couple of women who come up here on a regular basis. They help us with various administrative tasks. They don't have an actual title, but they have a, a, a certain role and responsibility. We have weekly, weekly volunteers with children and youth. They're vetted. They're somehow designated as representatives of the church, but they don't have an official title. We have a police officer who's a member here. He serves a couple of times a month, in, months, a couple of times a month in uniform to help with security. We have a bookkeeper that we've contracted to help us uh, with our finances, named Hillary. She's kind of a representative. So churches have a freedom to create other positions. They give other titles, minister, pastoral associate, or custodian, or uh, director, or executive director, whatever it might uh, be. In other words, I think Scripture establishes two offices, and so I think you should have those two offices, but it doesn't prohibit us from creating other positions of officially recognized uh, representatives of the church as long as those positions don't infringe upon the two offices that it does establish. Okay. Those are the, uh, the things related to apostles and deacons. If you have questions about that because we're out of time, let me encourage you to uh, email us. We would love to chat with you about that. But for now, let me go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you 
uh, for your goodness and grace and mercy to us. I thank you for your scripture, its authority, its inerrancy, its sufficiency. I thank you for uh, the gift of apostles that you have given, that they still speak today through your scripture. And, uh, and I thank you, Lord, for, uh, for the gift uh, of the diaconate. And I thank you for the deacons uh, who serve here. At, uh, at Parkway. Pray that you'd bless them and encourage them. Pray that you'd raise up more um, who might desire to help, whether they uh, are actually, in, uh, you know, uh, actually ordained and re- uh, recognized as, uh, as deacons, or uh, whether they're just serving behind the scenes without the title. And so, Lord, we love you. We're grateful for what you're doing here. Pray that you continue to help us in Christ's name. Amen.